أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله الأولين والآخرين وأشهد أن نبينا محمدا عبده ورسوله المصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك لعبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to another episode of our Tafsir program Page by Page And inshallah ta'ala today we are going to be covering page number 29 of the Quran which is in the second juz Surah Al-Baqarah In the previous episode we began with the verses that speak about fasting and its obligation and its many virtues and rewards. And we mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when it came to fasting, Allah azza wa jalla at the beginning of the legislation of fasting, He allowed certain things that were then later abrogated. Certain parts of the legislation of fasting were changed over time. So for example, we mentioned in the last episode that Allah azza wa jalla at the beginning of Islam allowed for people to choose between fasting or between feeding a poor person. So those who had the money, had the ability to feed, could choose to feed rather than fast, or they could choose to fast. That's one example of a law at the beginning of Islam with regards to fasting that was then later changed, and it was changed to, as we know, uh, the way that it is now for every Muslim, and that is that they must fast. There is no other option, you must fast. And then there are exceptions to that rule for valid reason. So it's not an option for everyone, but for certain people, there are certain rules, as we mentioned before, the one who's sick, the one who's traveling, women on their monthly cycle, and so on and so forth, people who are too old and frail and and what have you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave gave to us a number of the legislations concerning fasting. And the last verse that we mentioned in the previous episode spoke about the importance of dua and its position and virtue, and especially when it comes to or in relation to this month of fasting, the month of Ramadan. At the beginning of this page in verse number 187, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues with verses regarding fasting and Allah azza wa jal says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم أحل لكم ليلة الصيام الرفث إلى نسائكم هن لباس لكم وأنتم لباس لهن علم الله أنكم كنتم تختانون أنفسكم فتاب عليكم وعفى عنكم فالآن باشروهن وابتغوا ما كتب الله لكم وكلوا واشربوا حتى يتبين لكم الخيط الأبيض من الخيط الأسود من الفجر ثم أتموا الصيام إلى الليل ولا تباشروهن وأنتم عاكفون في المساجد تلك حدود الله فلا تقربوها كذلك يبين الله آياته للناس لعلهم يتقون الله سبحانه وتعالى says it is permitted for you to lie with your wives during the night of the fast they are like garments to you as you are to them this portion of portion of this verse in 187 this part of the verse was revealed also concerning one of the restrictions of Ramadan that was then later changed in the legislation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the beginning of Islam the person who broke their fast had to eat at the time of Maghrib between Maghrib and Isha they had to break their fast if for one reason or another they didn't eat during that time and night settled upon them meaning Isha comes in because the time of Maghrib is the time of sunset 
and there's a redness that stays in the sky until the time of Isha. That's when we pray Isha. Once that redness, that light of the sky finally goes and night fully sets in, that is the time of Isha. If at the beginning of Islam, someone hadn't eaten during that period, for one reason or another, someone's too tired, they become busy or whatever, they forget, whatever happens, they go to sleep and they oversleep or whatever, and then they miss that timing, then it means that they couldn't eat now until the following day Maghrib, meaning that they had to fast for a longer period, almost 36 hours or so, like a day and a half. And it was reported in some of the narrations that there was a companion from the Ansar who used to work for a living as a laborer. He was someone who was engaged in physical labor. So he's already tired and fatigued and he's had a long day and it's hot and he hasn't eaten or drunk and it's time for him to break his fast. So when he came and it was time for Maghrib and he broke his fast, he asked his wife to bring food and she said that I don't have food, we don't have food, but I will go and find you some. So she went and it took her some time to find food. By the time she returned, she found that he had fallen asleep and that the time of Isha had come in. So she said to him, you're going to have a hard time now because you can't eat. Even though I have food, you have to wait for the next day, Maghrib. And so on the next following day when he went to work or he went back to his job, he was physically unable to continue because of the burden and he ended up losing consciousness or fainting. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gave the concession allow things to be easier. And that is the time of the night whenever you eat from the time of, of, of uh, sunset up until the time of Fajr, the dawn, that time of the night is open for you. Eat as you wish, drink as you wish, and have marital relations if you so choose to do so. And that is why Allah mentions the issue of marital relations because of the forms of the way that the people, of the things that people can enjoy in a halal way outside of fasting. That is the one that is, if you like the the, the major one, and so therefore food and drink comes beneath that anyway, and so therefore by extension we know that those are also possible and allowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission. Allah Azza wa says, Allah knows that you used to betray yourselves, meaning that some of you were able to physically do this, that there were some of these rulings that you were able to completely carry out. Imagine having to fast for all of that period of time, especially when the day is long and it's hot and it's something which is difficult for you because of the job that you may have. So Allah says that He knows that it was difficult for you. So Allah has forgiven you. And Allah has pardoned you as well. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made things easy for the believers. And this is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So certain things Allah obligated at the beginning of Islam and then He changed them made them easier for people. And certain things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed for people to have some concession in at the beginning, and then he made them slightly more strict if you like. And we have both examples of this in the month of Ramadan. The beginning of Ramadan, as we said at the beginning of fasting, the first legislation is you have a choice. And for many people that choice is a form of ease. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes away that option and says you must all fast. And at the same time, Allah said to people that if you don't eat at this time, then you must continue to fast consecutively. But then Allah made that concession or gave a concession and made things easier for people, even if they missed that time or that initial time of eating and drinking. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and he says, وَكُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا حَتَّى يَتَبَيَّنَ لَكُمُ الْخَيْطُ الْأَبْيَضُ مِنَ الْخَيْطِ الْأَسْوَدِ مِنَ الْفَجْرِ ثُمَّ أَتِمُّ الصِّيَامَ إِلَى الليل. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so eat and drink until the white thread of dawn becomes distinct from the black. Then fast until nightfall. These are the timings of fasting then that Allah Azza wa legislated. And the timing is that from the time 
of the Adhan of Fajr dawn up until sunset, the time of Maghrib. And that is the, the white thread from the black thread, meaning the white thread of dawn of light and the black thread of the nightfall. That is the time that you must continue to, that you can eat and drink during the night hours. During the daylight hours, you must fast as Allah says, then you must fast until the end of the night. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore tells us, and in this you also find a, an indication of some of the scholars of tafsir mentioned, that it is recommended therefore to have the two meals that are part of the fasting, which is the suhoor and the iftar. The suhoor because Allah says, eat and drink until you can distinguish between those times, meaning that when the time comes in, you stop. But Allah says, before the eat and drink, meaning it is good for you to do so. And we know that the Prophet said concerning the suhoor, in it there is barakah. There is barakah, there is blessing. And so that pre-dawn meal that you have, which is the half an hour, 20 minutes before, not the meal that you have at midnight, and then you say, I'm not gonna, don't need to wake up now before Fajr and eat. No, the suhoor is the time that is just before Fajr, that 15, 20, 30 minutes. That is the time that is called suhoor in the Arabic language. And it is a time that Allah Azza wa Jal greatly uh, greatly praises in the Quran generally anyway. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says concerning the believers, as we will come to elsewhere in the Quran, وَبِلْ أَسْحَارِ هُمْ يَسْتَغْفِرُونَ During that time of suhoor, there are people who make istighfar, meaning they turn to Allah in forgiveness, referring to the believers. And it is also the time before you fast to have a small amount to eat and drink at that time. And likewise, Allah then says, fast until night, meaning as soon as Maghrib comes in, then stop your fasting. And that is why the Prophet said that this ummah will continue to be in good so long as it hastens the iftar and delays the suhoor. So the practice that people have today where they don't necessarily break their fast straight away after Maghrib, but they wait or they go and pray and then they come back, that is not the sunnah. Nor is it the sunnah to have the suhoor really early, meaning that before you go to bed at night, or some people come back after Tarawih and they're like, I'll just eat now, then I don't have to wake up and so on. That is not from the sunnah. And so the Prophet ﷺ told us these two points and these two times because this is what Allah is referring to in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives to us another example of an act of worship that we can perform in the month of Ramadan. So we've had the Quran and its importance, dua and its importance. Obviously, fasting already has been mentioned. Allah Azza wa Jal then says here, وَلَا تُبَاشِرُوهُنَّ وَأَنْتُمْ عَاكِفُونَ فِي الْمَسَاجِدِ Do not lie with them, meaning do not have marital relations with your spouses during the nights of your devotional retreat in the masajid. Meaning, when you make i'tikaf, you don't do anything. I'tikaf is when you seclude yourself in one of the houses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And i'tikaf is only done in a masjid. Allah azza wa says so in this verse. Fil masajid, in the masjid. It is when you seclude yourself, meaning that you don't go out, you don't go to work, you don't mix generally as you would with your family and friends and so on. You seclude yourself in the masjid to do what? To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we know, it is the sunnah to do so for the last 10 nights of Ramadan in particular to look for the night of decree, but it is allowed outside of the month of Ramadan and in the other nights of Ramadan as well, other than the last 10, because there is a general act of worship that a person can go in and for example, say that I will make itikaf for one night in the masjid to worship Allah Azza wa to devote myself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Generally at night, it is allowed for you, as we said in Ramadan, to eat and drink and for those that are married to have marital relations. Allah Azza wa is saying, is saying that however in itikaf, you eat and drink, 
but don't go close to your spouses. Meaning, don't do that part. Why? Because the whole point of i'tikaf is to devote yourself to Allah's worship during the night and during the day. So if you are busy with other stuff, that takes away from the devotional aspect, the seclusion aspect of this act of worship. And the Prophet ﷺ used to make i'tikaf. And his wives, radiallahu anhunna ajma'een, after his death, would also continue to do so, as did the scholars of Islam throughout the ages. And even till today, we find people still making i'tikaf, and it is an amazing act of worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues and says, Tilka hududullahi fala taqrabuha. These are the boundaries set by Allah, so do not go near them, meaning do not transgress or overstep them. So, what Allah Azza wa Jalla has mentioned about the restrictions regarding food, and drink and marital relations and how you should fast and the etiquettes and everything that we therefore know from the verses of Quran that we've just mentioned in these episodes of tafsir and likewise what we have from the sunnah of the Prophet These are the boundaries that Allah has set. So do not overstep them. Do not go overboard concerning them. Allah concludes this verse subhanahu wa ta'ala by saying, in this way, Allah makes His messages clear to people that they may guard themselves against doing wrong. So Allah Azza wa is saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made the sharia clear. The laws are clear. The hakam and the rulings are clear. And so Allah Azza wa has given guidance to transgress beyond that guidance or to do actions without learning that guidance first, meaning by through ignorance, it is something which Allah Azza wa is telling us to stay away from because both are dangerous. To overstep the boundaries of Allah is to disregard what Allah has told you. And to act without any knowledge out of ignorance is to also disregard Allah's religion in a different way, but it is also equally as problematic. In verse 188, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then moves on from fasting. And Allah speaks about the importance of integrity when it comes to wealth. So Allah says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا أَمْوَالَكُمْ بَيْنَكُمْ بِالْبَاطِلِ وَتُدُلُوا بِهَا إِلَى الْحُكَّامِ وَتُدُلُوا بِهَا إِلَى الْحُكَّامِ لِتَأْكُلُوا فَرِيقًا مِّنْ أَمْوَالِ النَّاسِ بِالْإِثْمِ وَأَنْتُمْ تَعْلَمُونَ Do not consume your wealth, your property wrongfully, nor use it to bribe judges, intending sinfully and knowingly to consume parts of other people's property. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the integrity of wealth. So we've said that one of the things that combines all of these different things that Allah has mentioned in the previous couple of episodes and in this episode, the underlying current or the, if you like, the, the connecting pattern is this issue of integrity that comes from the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being conscious of Allah and the greatest act of worship that gives you that level of higher consciousness and awareness of Allah is the act of worship of fasting. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us about being having integrity when it comes to accusing other people of crimes and taking retribution. Allah Azza wa Jalla told us the importance of integrity when it comes to people's testaments and wills and the time of their death. And Allah Azza wa Jalla is now telling us to have integrity when it comes to property. Don't devour your property amongst you unjustly. Meaning don't steal, don't cheat. Don't try to take stuff that doesn't belong to you in one way or another by hook or by crook because you're not following the commands of Allah Azza wa Jal. Don't engage in interest and in riba and all of those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited when it comes to wealth. And this is from the greatest temptations that a person faces, money. Because everyone naturally has a love for wealth and money because of the status that it gives, because of the things that you're able to provide and bring and buy, and all of the other things that surround wealth and everything that it, can, that, 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 it, that it brings to you and to those around you. It is a temptation, therefore, 
to engage in it in a way that it's haram. To take it with the halal is halal. To take it in a way that is pleasing to Allah and to spend in that way is halal. And we know that from amongst the companions and the scholars of the past were people who were very wealthy. The likes of Abu Bakr and Uthman and Abdurrahman ibn Awf radiallahu anhu and Ajma'een and others were extremely wealthy. By today's standards, they would have been considered probably to be multi-millionaires. And amongst the scholars of the past, there were people like Abdullah ibn Mubarak rahimahullah and others, Imam Abu Hanif and others who were known to have a good deal of wealth. Allah blessed them. And never did they shun that wealth one, but they didn't become servants either to it. They benefited from their wealth, they took it, they spent it, but they didn't become slaves running after it or taking it in every way that is haram. And so Allah says, don't devour your wealth unjustly. Don't steal, don't betray, don't cheat, don't do those things that are haram. And from those issues that speak about integrity, is that you give bribes to judges in order to take the property of others. And this is something unfortunately that we see in many Muslim countries, that a person doesn't own that land, but because they can bribe the judge or they have some influence over them, whether it's a monetary bribe, whether it's undue influence, whether it's someone who knows that judge well and he says, okay, just, you know, this is my friend and give it to him rather than the person who's the rightful owner. These are all forms of undue influence. And the one who's a judge and accepts that type of bribe or influence is someone who has a lack of integrity. And the one who takes the property of others in that way also lacks integrity. And so if we don't fear Allah Azzawajal, when it comes to our wealth, when it comes to the, our dealings with others, when it comes to the trusts and responsibilities that have been placed upon us, then that is something which is extremely dangerous. And you lead yourself down a path that is displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azzawajal is giving us this warning, this stark warning. Beware, be careful. And for what? You take that wealth and you benefit from it, maybe perhaps in your life and in the lifetime of your children. But in as a result of that, there is no barakah in your life. As a result of that, you see much more evil and disobedience in your family and your children. As a result of that, there are calamities and hardships upon you. And rather than that wealth bringing you the happiness and contentment and joy that you thought, that you coveted, that you thought that it would bring, instead what it does is that it gives you a life of misery, a life of hardship and calamity. You don't feel any peace and contentment. The people who were once your friends are now after your money. Your family that you thought that you could trust are waiting for you to die or for something else to happen to you so that they can also devour that wealth and take it from you just as you took it from someone else. And that is why Allah Azza says that this is something you should stay away from. To have a life that is halal, to live a life that is halal, permissible, pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even if, it is a life, even if it is a life of modesty, relatively speaking, or a life of difficulty, relatively speaking, then that is more beloved and better to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the sight of Allah azza wa jal than for you to engage in haram and to steal and to take the wealth of others. For what? The Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that the one who takes the land, even a handspan of land, that doesn't belong to them, Allah azza wa jal will punish them with its like in the seven earths on the day of judgment. And the Prophet told us وسلم, that just because someone gives it to you like a judge or a court, they give it to you, doesn't make it halal for you if you know that it's not yours. He said, وسلم, sometimes you come and you dispute before me and some of you are more eloquent than others. So I give it to you based upon what I hear. But if you know that it doesn't belong to you, then know that all, the, all that I am giving you is a portion of the fire. All I gave to you was a piece of the hell fire. The judge, if he is true and honest and he is a person of integrity, and he does the best of his ability is not to blame if he does or gives the ruling to the wrong person. He bases it upon the evidence that he has. But if that person is forging 
testimonies, forging paper, forging, bribing people to come and be witnesses. The judge doesn't have the ability to know the unseen. But that person knows that it is wrong. And so just because the judge awarded it to him or the court ruled in his favor, doesn't make the property halal. And this is a big problem that we have in our communities where we think that just because the judge gave it to us, it makes the haram halal. I got it legally. I won it in a court case. So therefore, now it's mine, even though I know that it's not mine. I know that it doesn't belong to me. I know that that person who was on the opposite side of the case, it was his and it belonged to him. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us that this is from the greatest of sin and Allah azza wa jal will right all wrongs and oppressions on the day of judgment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 189, Allah azza wa jal then speaks about another act of worship. And this act of worship we mentioned in more detail later on, but Allah azza wa jal begins here with a single verse concerning it. And that is in verse 189, Allah azza wa jal speaks about the moon sighting as it relates to the great act of worship and pillar of Islam, that is the hajj. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْأَهِلَّةِ They ask you, meaning the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa about the crescent moons. We know that our religion is based, uh, a lot of it is based upon the lunar calendar, upon the sighting of the moon. So we base our months of the year, the lunar months, the Islamic calendar, we base them upon the sighting of the moon. So we fast Ramadan based upon the sighting of the moon. And we finish the fasting of Ramadan based upon the sighting of the moon. And likewise, other acts of worship that are determined in that way, such as the Hajj. The Hajj takes place in the 12th lunar calendar year of the Muslim calendar. And so therefore, in the month of Dhul-Hijjah, when will Dhul-Hijjah take place? It is also dependent upon moon sighting. So Allah Azza wa says, they ask you concerning the crescent moons. قُلْ هِيَ مَوَاقِيتُ لِلنَّاسِ وَالْحَجْ Say they show the times appointed for people and for the pilgrimage. They give you your timings, meaning the, elapse, the, the, the elapsing of your months. You know, the month began here and it ended here. It allows you to count time. And also it allows you to know certain acts of worship from them is the timing of Hajj. And so that is from the beauty and the benefits of this particular sign of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Hajj takes place with the moon sighting just as the month of Ramadan does, just as your zakah does. Because your zakah is due when? a full lunar year passes upon that wealth. And when is that done? It's done based upon the lunar calendar, not upon the Gregorian calendar that we use, for example, in the West. So it's not based upon January to January because the lunar calendar is shorter by about 10, 11 days per year than the solar calendar. But over time, if you keep using the the solar calendar, the Gregorian calendar, over a number of years, it's not 10 days anymore, you're now months out. And so eventually you will be a year or more out in terms of your zakah. And that is why it is important to use the Islamic calendar. Use Ramadan, Sha'ban, Shawwal, whichever month you choose, whenever that date of your zakah is due, from the benefits of moon sighting, therefore, is also the zakah as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, وَلَيْسَ الْبِرُّ بِأَن تَأْتُوا الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ ظُهُورِهَا وَلَكِنَّ الْبِرَّ مَنِ اتَّقَى وَأْتُوا الْبُيُوتَ مِنْ أَبَوَابِهَا Goodness or piety does not consist of entering houses by the back door. The truly good person is the one who is mindful of Allah Azza wa So enter your houses by their main doors and be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you may prosper. It was the practice of the people of Jahiliyyah before Islam. For example, it is said that it was a practice of some of the Ansar, some of the people of Medina. So we know that all of the Arabs used to perform Hajj. They all would come for the pilgrimage. But amongst the different areas and locations and tribes of Arabia, they had slightly different practices. So some of the things that the Medinans did 
wasn't necessarily something which the Meccans did. And what the Meccans did, not necessarily the Medinans did. But all of them agreed on the concept that they need to make Hajj. From the practices of the Ansar, the people of Medina, before Islam, is that once they made the intention for Hajj, they would consider it to be seemly, to be correct, that they should only enter their houses from the back door. They would enter their properties from the rear, not from the front. And they would consider this to be a way of showing worship or some type of submission to Allah or some type of gaining nearness to Allah Azza wa This was an act of worship or part of the rights that they had. And so when Islam came, it abolished these types of rules because they make no sense and there is not something which Allah Azza wa legislated in the first place. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them that true goodness is not in these acts of worship that you invented for yourselves. Like the Quraysh, for example, would say to people that you have to make tawaf naked, for example. And they would say to them, do certain things at certain places in certain ways that they themselves made up. Allah says that these issues, this is not where you get guidance from, not where you get goodness or piety from. Rather, true goodness is from your fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. True piety is when you turn to Allah and you are aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and therefore worship Him subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And so Allah disregarded this type of practice that they had concerning their practices of hajj, that they don't enter their properties from the front, but rather they enter from the rear. From the benefits of this verse also, therefore, is a general etiquette. And that is that it is not from the proper etiquettes that you enter someone's property from the rear. In certain places, uh, people don't have, like, for example, an enclosed rear space. They don't have a ward or a gate or a garden, for example, that is enclosed from the rear. It is open on the street. There are houses, for example, in the UK, in certain parts of the UK, where the back door is as accessible as the front door. And in some places, it is very common for people to enter through the back door or to seek permission to enter through the back door. And often, as we know, the back door or is the place where people have their kitchens or their living areas and their spaces. And that is where likely then you are find to be find, uh, like, likely to find people, for example, not dressed in the way that they would be in public. For example, women uncovered properly or someone may not wish for people to come and see that private space of their living. And so Allah is telling us from the etiquettes, therefore, is that it's not befitting that a person should enter into someone else's property from the rear. Rather, you seek permission to enter from the correct door. Allah says, enter the houses from their proper doors, meaning from their main door from the front of the property. And that is a general principle in Islam, that there is always two ways to do something. There's the back way which is like the shock way or the incorrect way. And then there's the front way, which is the correct way to do something. And Allah says, enter every property, meaning every issue, with regards to uh, entering it in the correct way, enter through the main door. And be mindful of Allah, be knowing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so that you may indeed prosper. This verse Allah speaks about, as we said, the Hajj, and this will be continued later on, inshallah ta'ala, including in the next verse. The final verse of this page, Going on to the next page then speaks about issues of fighting and jihad and so on. And because a number of verses are connected together, we will leave the final verse on page 29, which is verse 190. And so that we can have it, inshallah ta'ala, in the context with the following verses that will come on the next page, inshallah ta'ala, in the next episode. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he blesses us with understanding of the Qur'an. And that Allah azza wa jalla allows us to act upon the knowledge that we seek. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim.